you know, there, there's a lot of things that guys don't know that they just see others doing. And that doesn't necessarily mean, mean it's correct or not correct, but you need to find out as much about that position as possible. And once you can do that, then you need to read, 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 and then read some more. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the firefighting information you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. Sitting in the right front seat of a rig means a lot more than giving orders on the fire ground. In fact, that's only a small part of the job. Sure, it's important. I mean, lives are at stake. But you need to be equally good at the rest of the job, too. Company officers need to understand that not only will they be in charge at fire scenes, but they will eventually become parental figures, coaches, counselors, and much more to their crew. And that is something that is rarely taught in company officer training. My guest today, Tim Cowan, will be teaching his class called Riding Shotgun at Firehouse Expo 2021 in September, and he's here to preview their class for us. Tim retired not long ago from the city of Oneida, New York Fire Department as a deputy fire chief and fire marshal. With about three decades in fire and emergency services, he's an active volunteer with the Canastota, New York Fire Department. And he's also a deputy fire coordinator and instructor for Madison County, New York. Just a note before we get started, Tim sounds a little rough for the first two minutes or so but it improves, so stay with us. And Tim Cowan joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate you having me. What does someone who's been watching, let's say their battalion chief, and seeing the obvious things that they do, what do they not realize that they need to understand? I'm sure you're speaking off the fire ground, correct? Well, either way, I mean, yeah, on the fire ground, you're right, it's pretty easy, but off the fire ground is a little bit harder. Yeah, and I think off the fire ground, as a deputy chief, one of the things that I did with, with my lieutenants, for sure, was is I watched how they interacted with our guys. You know, how did they get along with them? How did they really speak to them? Or were they speaking at them? And, and don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for people to be told what to do, but in my experiences, when you have have firemen that are out of their probie period, they pretty much, they know what to do. But it's it's one of those, it didn't, you know, for my guys, they didn't need a lot of guidance. And I think one of the reasons for that was, is I gave my expectations ahead of time. You know, when we would sit down at the beginning of the year, whether it was with a new shift or just the beginning of the year itself, I laid out my expectations of what I what I expected that they were going to do, not only um, on the fire ground, but also more importantly, off the fire ground and how we were going to get along with each other and, and how we were going to take care of each other. And, you know, when I did that, 
I got a lot of head nods at the table. And of course there were times for questions and things like that for clarity most of the time, but they didn't have to guess. They, I wanted to make it as easy for them to come to work and to be able to do their job and to do the best that they could. But I also, you know, as much as I gave the expectation to them, I also asked them what they expected of me, because if I wasn't hitting the mark, the, you know, the relationship wasn't going to work and the shift just wasn't going to be as strong as what it could be. And, and I think as, as officers, that's one of the things that we really need to pay attention to is we need to pay attention to our guys and, and, girl, and gals. We need to pay attention to how they're doing, not necessarily always just in the fire station, but how are they doing outside of the fire station? There's a lot of things, uh, myself included, that I brought to work with me uh, that, you know, it, it's, it's unavoidable sometimes. And we always say, try to leave the problems at the door when you walk in in the morning. But sometimes that's not, you know, that's not always uh, something that you can do. So I would truly tell officers to pay attention to their people and pay attention to how they're reacting to different things throughout the day. I'm interested in what you said about telling them that you needed to know what they needed from you. What kind of feedback did you get on that? Well, uh, and, and I gave them, you know, the, the opportunity to talk to me without fear of retribution or repercussion for anything that they said. Even though I may not like what they say, me as an officer, you know, introspection was one of the hardest things that you could do, but also getting one, somebody else's opinion of how, you, how they think you're doing. Sometimes those moons are in alignment and sometimes they're not. And obviously the harder part is when things aren't aligning of how you think you're doing and how your people are telling you how you're doing. And I can remember uh, a time where, you know, I, and I gave them the opportunity to do that. And, you know, because I was also the fire marshal um, at the time, as I was dual hatting the deputy fire chief and fire marshal, you know, a lot of my day was spent doing plan review and things like that. And that was brought to my attention from some of my guys was, look, you're not spending time with us like you used to out on the floor. And it didn't have to necessarily be watching over what they're doing. I think it was more that they just wanted to spend time together with all of us and instead of feeling segregated as a shift throughout the day. We work 24-hour shifts, so it was really important. And, and when they said that to me, and there was a couple of them that, that kind of hinted around at the same thing, it was like, all right, I need to change that, you know, and, and I did. I did some adjustment and, and within about a month, um, you know, we were right back to where we were all together and, and, and it was really good. People tend to get promoted until they reach the point where they can't handle the work anymore. That I think is because a promotion is usually a different job than the one you left. So how do you make sure that you're actually suited for the promotion that you think you want? Well, I, I think there's a couple things that need to happen. One, and I, and I tell, I know I tell newer people who are looking to get promoted to that first line supervisor spot, which is the lieutenant spot, um, guys kind of get their, their, their sight on it and they forget about all the other things that they need to do. So I would first and foremost, regardless of if, if it's, you know, the lieutenants, captains, battalions, or whatever your rank structure is, Remember, you still have to do your current job the best that you can, because that does truly reflect 
on how you're going to do the next job. And I think people forget that as they get so wrapped up into what they want or what they think that they want, that they forget to what they have to do. Well, they want the raise usually, but then in order to get the raise, the job that they're promoting into is generally radically different than what they're doing today. That's correct. That's 100% correct. And the next thing that I would do is, is, is tell them to try to prepare for the promotion of, one, find out what that job title actually entails. You know, be, just because I think I know what a lieutenant does, uh, well, maybe your job description within your own department is something completely different or you didn't know, especially in larger departments. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that guys don't know that they just see others doing. And that doesn't necessarily mean, mean it's correct or not correct, but you need to find out as much about that position as possible. And once you can do that, then you need to read, 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 and then read some more from people who have been in those positions. Early on in my career, when I first got promoted, you know, I, I thought that larger departments were so not relative to what I was experiencing until I went to FDNY for a month and, and got taught by their lieutenants and captains. And we share a lot of the same similarities. It's just on a bigger scale. You know, the, the lieutenant is just as nervous on his first day in FDNY as I was on my first day in Oneida. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there that, that I think people overlook sometimes, but I would definitely, um, you know, read as much as you can from others, try to find a mentor who's already there in that position and ask them, say, Hey, what, you know, what did you think when you got promoted was going to happen? Because be honest with you, when I got promoted, uh, the first time into the Lieutenant's position, I really thought that it was like, yeah, this is it. I'm riding the right front seat. We're going to fires and everything's going to be great. Well, people forget that's about 2% of the time. The other 98% of the time is dealing with people and the, and the people within the department. So be prepared to be challenged by people that you wouldn't think would challenge you and be prepared to, to do what's right. And a lot of times that's not easy sometimes is doing what's right, but it's the right thing to do. How do you make the transition from one of the guys on Friday to their boss on Monday? That is a painstakingly sometimes difficult transition. There's no doubt about it. Now, now where I was very fortunate is, is when I got promoted in that first lieutenant's position and had the, the meeting with the shift, um, it was one of those where, look, I'm your friend until you make me be your boss. And I say that because I don't make you screw up, you screw up. I didn't do that to you. Um, actually, if I didn't do anything and didn't, uh, you know, either punishment or whatever the case may be per whatever the contract is, you would be upset that I didn't do that to the next person. So I have to do that to you. Um, and it's not an easy transition going from buddy to boss. And Chase Sargent wrote that great book, Buddy to Boss. Uh, I've read it a couple times now, uh, and it does help because that's where I was going with the, the you will be challenged by your friends who were your friends on Friday, and now you're, you're their boss on Monday. They are going to challenge you, but the people that are really important to you and that you value as friends, um, regardless of you're at the fire station or not, those are the people that you're going to trust and they trust you. 
Um, those are kind of going to be your sounding board people. And I'm not saying it's going to be a dozen people. It's probably going to be like one or two um, that you're really going to trust to, to help you get through this uh, challenging time of, of being a new lieutenant. And like I said, you're going to need to develop a network of people outside of your organization who have either are experiencing or have experienced the same thing that you're going through right now. That is going, and, I, and again, that may be two or three people, um, but that's what's going to save you lots of heartache um, and kind of going to be a good sounding board when you have to make really difficult decisions. Um, and again, some things are really easy, black and white, look, you did this, it's this. And then there's other things that aren't so easy that you're going to be faced with um, that aren't popular decisions. I can tell you that they're just not, they're just not easy. And, and because they're not easy, not everybody can do that job. And that's the hard part. Have you ever encountered anyone who got a promotion and just was not good at the job? And what happened to that person? Yeah, I think I've encountered a few people uh, throughout my career that did get promoted um, that, you know, unfortunately, for whatever reason, uh, that was kind of where their learning stopped. Um, they didn't go to class anymore. They didn't do any outside training anymore. Um, they thought in their mind that they've been promoted and that's it. I don't have to do anything else. Um, and where it really showed um, was how they interacted with each other on shifts. Because I work overtimes on other shifts. Um, and the tight unity and bond and people that have that know what I'm talking about. Um, it just, it wasn't there. The shift just didn't feel right for whatever reason. And, and those people who were promoted into those positions that I felt didn't really uh, not, not deserve, but, but didn't really kind of act out the position that they should be in, you could tell. You could definitely tell because there were some confidence issues that they had. You know, the guys didn't quite respond exactly the way they should to each other. So what happened to those people? Well, in, in my uh, type of service, we're, we're a civil service state in New York. I mean, be honest with you, once you, if you get promoted into a position beyond something detrimental, it's yours. I mean, it's your position until you either rank up again or you retire. Um, so there's not really, as far as discipline wise, there's not really anything else that could be done except encouragement wise um, throughout the department. Um, from from the, the rank structure. But unfortunately, my department didn't have a lot of that encouragement. It was kind of led on self-promotion. Um, look, you know, if you want to get better, you're going to you're going to get better on your own type of thing. And that's unfortunately still the way it is today. But, you know, there are some people that did thrive out of the organization because they just wanted to be better. They, you know, they felt that there was more to that position and they kept going. And, and that was great. And like I said, there's others um, that they got there and, and that's it. You know, can they do the job? Yeah. But if I'm going to do the job, I want to be great at it. I just don't, I don't want to leave the job and, and everybody goes, who was that guy that was last there? Man, what was his name? I forget. Or, or worse, the ones they remember for the wrong reason. That's right. Because, and you, you, you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, you, you, you screw up, depending on what it is, the department and the people will never forget it. It will be marked in history forever. We, we joke a lot of times about the, 
you know, people being uh, named in the contract for certain, usually disciplinary thing, you know, oh, that that's Matt's, that's Matt's clause or, oh, that's Steve's clause uh, because something had happened. Um, but you do something that's, that's deadly serious on a mistake, you'll never forget it, nor will anybody else. I guarantee it. And the problem is they'll talk about it. They're just not going to talk about it with you. And that's a huge problem. You advocate servant leadership, which is a buzzword these days. What does that actually mean to you? I do. I advocate for servant leadership, but I really, and it's really simple in my opinion, servant leadership is taking care of the, uh, of the people that work for you. And, and there's a, and it's not, and I'm not necessarily always just talking about in the fire station. There's so much more to this job that goes on outside the fire station than goes on inside the fire station at times. You know, people either getting married, getting engaged, having children. I mean, you name it, you, you have to be involved within their personal lives as much as they'll let you. And this falls back to what we talked about 20 minutes ago um, about trust. You know, if, if I trust somebody, I'm, yes, I want you in my life. If I don't trust you, I don't want you anywhere as near my life, to be honest with you. Um, so servant leadership, yes, I'm going to take care of you within the fire station as far as trying to make you as successful as I can and giving you all the tools necessary, whether it's education, whether it's um, just being the best person you are, whether it's learning a new skill while we're there. And that's some of it. And it's trying to be together with you to be a part of your life outside the fire station. Um, and in the career side, we spend more time uh, for the first 20 years of our career with the fire service people than we do with our own families at home. Um, so I need to know, you know, when things are happening with you, whether it's good or bad. And you, ha and you have to be able to trust somebody to open up to that. That to me is a lot is, is servant leadership is is understanding that somebody might not always be on their A game every single day they walk through the door, or somebody might not be on their A game with their marriage every single day of the year, and just working through things like that with them, uh, and that does develop a bond and a trust that uh, can never be broken unless something detrimental happens to it. Um, so I, that's where I believe servant leadership really is. That's pretty different than a lot of other jobs where the supervisor may not be in that family or brotherhood kind of mode like firefighters are. Have you ever met anyone who started in, in the fire service a little later in life and ran into a problem understanding what that was like? I'm a volunteer as well, and I've, I've probably been a volunteer for coming up on 30 years. Um, so I, I see, you know, kind of both sides of it where, yeah, the guy is a factory worker um, it, during the day, but he also, you know, is a volunteer fireman. And yeah, some of that um, for those types of people is a little unusual because, you know, those people aren't having barbecues with their families from the guy at the factory on Saturday and Sunday. So it, it is a little uh, out of the ordinary until they experience some of that fire service life and go, oh, well, this isn't so bad. Uh, and yeah, I want more of this and I, I want to be a part of more of this. Um, so it, it, to me, it's, 
it's difficult, but I think once people taste it, they keep, they want it. It's like a drug. They want it more and more and more. That's true. All right, Tim Cowan, thanks very much for being with me on Code 3 today. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the time and uh, everybody out there be safe and remember safety is no accident. And there's more information about riding shotgun and links to Firehouse Expo 2021 on our website at code3podcast.com slash shotgun. Check it out. And if you know someone who could use Tim's insights on preparing for command, then tell them about this episode. It might give them some ideas and it will help get more people listening, which I always appreciate. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.